This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Double ball! There he is, for the first set, Billy Jean King, point and set, 6-4. That's the iconic tennis star and feminist Billie Jean King in the famous Battle of the Sexes match against Bobby Riggs. It's the 40th anniversary of both the match and the Women's Tennis Association. This week, King was in town to be inducted into the Rogers Cup Tennis Hall of Fame. I had a chance to talk to her about women's tennis, the state of feminism, and the battles still to be won. That's coming up. Plus, how often do you look at a nutrition table on the back of a box of cereal or a bag of chips to see how much of your daily protein, sugar, salt, or fat is in a single serving? It's a practice Health Canada advocates. But did you know that those tables are based on 30-year-old information? That means some of those daily values are way off. Today I'll be joined by nutritionist Rosie Schwartz. She'll tell us what Health Canada needs to do to fix all this. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. As scientists look for ways to slow the aging process, it appears that a lot of people don't want to slow it by very much. A survey by the Pew Research Center finds that most Americans would not want to live to be 120. The survey indicates that most people consider the ideal lifespan to be between 79 and 100 years. Also from the Pew Research Center, more adult children are living at home with their parents than at any time in the last four decades. According to a new study, 36% of adults between the ages of 18 and 31 lived at home last year, compared with 32% in 2007. The report cites unemployment, rising college enrollment, and declining marriage rates as the reasons for the increase. AARP, the Organization for American Zoomers, has advice for those who want to encourage their children to move out. Don't prepare hot meals all the time, set a deadline for moving out, and don't be a bank machine for your adult children. And an AARP candidates forum was the scene of the latest sideshow in serial sexter Anthony Weiner's bid to become New York's mayor. He called Republican candidate George McDonald grandpa. Then McDonald called Weiner a punk. The two clashed when Weiner tapped his opponent on the chest to greet him at the candidates forum, and the Republican told him to take his hands off. AARP says Weiner's remark was unfortunate. This week, we said goodbye to actress Karen Black, who passed away from complications of cancer at the age of 74. Appearing in over 100 movies, Black had supporting roles in such counterculture films as Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, and Nashville. She also appeared in the 1974 version of The Great Gatsby with Robert Redford. All I kept thinking was, I kept thinking, you can't live forever. You can't live forever. 
Karen Black often played women who were quirky, troubled, or threatened. She was nominated for an Oscar for her performance in Five Easy Pieces. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. To unveil the display and officially welcome Billie Jean King into the Rogers Cup Hall of Fame. This week, the great Billie Jean King was in town to be inducted into the Rogers Cup Tennis Hall of Fame. The honor marks 40 years since she founded the Women's Tennis Association and 40 years since she won the literally game-changing Battle of the Sexes match against Bobby Riggs. I found she is still passionate about her sport and about feminism. How many women are in the government here? What's the percentage? At first, Billie Jean King was the one asking the questions, questions that reflect her lifelong passion for promoting women's equality in life and in sport. How many girls play uh, ice hockey here? A lot? A lot. Yeah, yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. My little Compared girl. to boys, how many? For the record, 12 of 39 cabinet ministers are women, and so are six provincial and territorial premiers. Less than 20% of minor hockey players are girls. Sports are a microcosm of society. We have a long way to go, women. We just do. Until girls have the same opportunities that the boys do in sports or any other field of endeavor, it's the, the biggest difference I find in sports anyway is that the resources available to men's sports compared to women's sports is just night and day. Okay? Men are willing to spend billions of dollars and lose billions of dollars long-term thinking on men's sports. Here's what happens with women. Let's say you start a, a soccer league. If the women don't make money in two years, the guys go, see, they're not making any money. Third match point. Oh. That's a clip from the most-watched tennis game in the history of the sport. King beat Bobby Riggs in the legendary Battle of the Sexes in 1973, the same year she established the Women's Tennis Association and won equal prize money for women at the U.S. Open. It paved the way for future generations of female players, some who now think these battles are behind them. Here's former number one Monica Seles, and current number one, Serena Williams. I think where the prize money has gone, the prestige of the tournament is going in the right directions, and the future tennis stars, uh, thanks to the past champions, the current champions, have really a, a greatly built-in system for them. Does it get all the respect it deserves? I think I think women's tennis gets a lot of respect, and with so many sponsors, so many positive things going down for going on with women's tennis right now, and. Um, this is a great time to be a part of something so amazing. What do you say to uh, young women who kind of cringe at the word feminism and to tennis players who say that the women's game and the women's tour is exactly where it should be and uh, there are no more battles? I think they need to understand it's not a bad word. It's actually a very strong, wonderful word. People have a, a very negative connotation with that word. And, they should, and if you really look it up, all it is is about equality. It's really simple. And then the second part of the question, there's always more that we have to do. Even if things were perfect for both genders, we still want to make things better. 
and there's a lot of the world that's not doing well. 70% of poverty is women, and women tennis players are an example. Equal prize money is the message, not the money. It's the message that we send through equal. That word equal, prize money, is that's the important thing for both boys and girls. And so it's very important for women to, do the, to keep pushing forward because it's important that young boys and girls see us as strong, we all have a right to be who we are, that we can do things really well, that we know how to compete, we know how to lead, we know how to have the passion every day, the belly and the, and the you know, the fire in the belly just like the guys every day. You know, it got me all fired <laughs> up. Talk about fire in the belly. It's certainly still there now that she's a Zoomer, but what has changed is her attitude to retirement. I got to play until I was 40. I retired at 40, and I'm glad. You see, I think it's important to have a full lifetime in your career. You know, I was taught to go out on top, and I did. It was a mistake. It's one of my mistakes. I still could beat Chris and Martina in 1976, and I should have played at least one more year of singles. But I got hooked in, oh, you're going to you know, end up on top, and I won Wimbledon in 75. This is a great time to quit. What am I doing? I love to play. Stupido. And then I, then I remember talking to Chris and Martina and others, Tim Mayotte, other players, men and women, about that next phase, you know, at the end. Um, you know, when should I quit? Quit when you're ready, if your body allows you to quit when you're ready, emotionally and mentally. So um, it, it's amazing. I'm going to be 70 this year. I don't care about birthdays. It's so sweet. You know how girls are taught not to tell everybody? Oh, that's so baloney. Just tell everybody. Who cares? It's like, God, it's just, we get hang, hung up on all the wrong things in life. Golly, that's just, come on. I'm going to be 7 oh, and I love it. The Zoomer icon also broke ground by coming out as gay in 1981. She says she wasn't comfortable in her own skin as a gay woman until she was over 50. In September, she will be the first sports figure to be profiled in PBS's American Masters series. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We've all been told to cut back on our intake of sodium, trans fat, and cholesterol, and many of us are making strong efforts to do just that. But did you know that the daily values found on many common Canadian food products are based on data from over 30 years ago? And in some cases, those daily values can be way off. In just a moment, nutritionist Rosie Schwartz will tell us more. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Making informed food choices can sometimes be challenging for all of us. Use the percent daily value in the nutrition facts table to quickly understand if a food has a little or a lot of a nutrient. That commercial is from a Health Canada campaign that was supposed to make it easier to read those government nutrition labels on food packages. With different serving sizes on each product, you practically need a calculator to compare the number of calories and the amount of salt, sugar, fat and vitamins. Health Canada says we should concentrate on the number on the right, percentage daily value, or DV. Well, nutritionist Rosie Schwartz found out those DV numbers are 30 years old, and if we follow them, we could end up consuming a lot more salt and a lot less vitamins than we need. I reached her at her office. 
Now, when did you first realize that these daily values the government was using are so out of date? A number of months ago, I was trying to figure out the vitamin D level of a particular food. A particular product that I was looking at said that it contained 50% of the DV of vitamin D. So I assumed that since the daily value, which was set 2010, was 600 international units, I thought that the product contained 300 international units. I was told I was wrong, that it only contained 100 international units and that the DV was 200 international units. I approached Health Canada about it and they said, well, it's based on 1983 numbers. So then I started to look at other nutrients. I looked at the sodium and I saw that the sodium was 2,400. Now, the sodium, the recommended amount was revised in 2005. So that's eight years ago. I have here in my hot little hands a bag of potato chips. So I would have looked on the label on this bag of potato chips and it says, where it says sodium, it says 7%. Right. But that's based on a daily value of 2,400, which is way higher. What's the recommended daily? 1,500. 1,500. Now, Libby, what's really shocking, the experts that looked at the issues of how much should be recommended also decided that it was time to come up with another level called the upper tolerable limit. Now, the upper limit that was determined for sodium is 2,300. So what the group of experts has said is that above 2,300, there is an increased risk of adverse health effects. Right. So our government is telling us that 2,400 is the daily value. But let's say you take um, something that has 800 milligrams of sodium. That would say on the label 33% of the daily value. Right. So you would think you still have a long way to go. Well, that's actually more than 50%. So if you take even, let's say, a serving of, of soup, and it's a cup of soup, and you end up taking two cups of soup, that's not unreasonable, then you actually, in that bowl of soup, you've had the entire recommended amount for the day, yet the label would tell you otherwise. So what is your reaction to this? What do you think of this? Oh, I'm furious. When, when I found this out, I asked Health Canada if they were going to change it. And they said, we will be looking at changing it. It will take two to three years. Now, to, but, <laughs> Did they but, say why? Health Canada, when I asked them how they could be using um, that 2,400, they said there is no consensus as to whether it should be the upper limit or the recommended amount. That's not true. Right. So, number one, they have a definition of what their daily value is. That's a consensus. They came up with that, number one. Number two... Which is so the lower amount, 1,500. Yes, they appointed and spent millions of dollars on an expert committee called the Sodium Working Group that came up with a report in 2010 which said 
we want to see the daily value changed on nutrition labels to reflect the recommended amount. The daily value should be 1,500 milligrams on food labels. What did they do? They disbanded the group. Um, now we have all these, these health groups that are signing on to support Bill C-640, Sodium Reduction Strategy for Canada, and the government saying we have no consensus. Well, I think that maybe where they don't have a consensus is they don't have the food industries supporting them. Now, what's really aggravating about the whole thing is that while they are looking at changing the numbers in, in a number of years, they have embarked on an education campaign. The center of the education campaign is to get people to read nutrition labels and focus particularly on the percentage DV. When I've said to them, how can you have the wrong information there? And they said, well, we don't want people just to look at the percentage. We want them to use it as a comparison. Okay. Comparison of what to what? what two different products. Okay, so, so if this bag of potato chips has less, has a lower number than the other bag of potato chips, I should choose it. Is that right. the... Right, that's what they're saying. So they've embarked on this campaign where Health Canada is spending almost a million dollars, the food industry is spending almost seven million dollars, and this information of this educational campaign will be on eight million food packages. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and so they're, they're spending money. They are misinforming Canadians on 8 million food packages, and they say, oh, no problem here. Health Canada's mission is to promote the health of Canadians. I have to say that I think that Health Canada is more interested in promoting the financial health of corporate Canada. Okay, so that's your take, that uh, they're doing this because of the food industry. I, I definitely think so. I'm appalled. Um, I'm probably a thorn in the side of, of Health Canada. They are not looking out for the health of Canadians, I believe. Okay. Rosie Schwartz, thank you so much for opening our eyes on this. My pleasure, Libby. That conversation first aired in March. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, we lost a great local musician. James Gray, formerly of the band Blue Rodeo, passed away suddenly from a heart attack. In just a moment, we'll pay tribute to James and hear some of his wonderful music. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. In New York City, Aaron Posner's adaptation of the novel My Name is Asher Lev tells the story of a young Hasidic Jew from Brooklyn in the 1950s who draws everything he sees. It's on stage at Westside Theatre on West 43rd Street. In San Francisco, Camille Rose Garcia grew up in the 1970s on a diet of 60s sitcoms, cartoons, and comic books. In her latest exhibition at the Walt Disney Family Museum, Garcia updates Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, giving the 1865 classic a goth makeover. 
To London, England, where a production made famous on film by Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer is now on stage. The Sound of Music is at Regent's Park. And in Paris, the works of pop art icon Keith Haring are on display at the Museum of Modern Art. Haring died in 1990 and was militantly against South Africa's apartheid, atomic war, environmental destruction, homophobia, and an advocate for people living with HIV-AIDS. I'm Jane Brown, and that's your International Arts Book. This week, the Toronto music community lost an outstanding artist, Keyboardist James Gray, best known for his work with the band Blue Rodeo, passed away suddenly from a heart attack while walking home from a gig on Monday night. Gray hailed from a musical family. His father, Jerry, was a founding member of the popular Canadian folk band The Travelers. And from a very young age, James's musical talents were strongly encouraged and supported. He went on to study music and composition theory at the University of Toronto. He joined Blue Rodeo in 1992 and stayed with them until 2005. During this period, the band enjoyed a tremendous growth in popularity and won numerous music awards. One of his most iconic recordings with the group is from his early days with the band. From their 1993 album, Five Days in July, here is James Gray playing on the opening track, Five Days in May. Sometimes the world begins to set you up on your feet again and know it wipes the tears from your eyes. How will you ever know the way that circumstances go? That was Blue Rodeo with Five Days in May. The beautiful piano playing you heard was that of James Gray, who passed away suddenly from a heart attack at the start of the week. He was 52. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when we look at bridging the generation gap on the job as millennials enter the workplace. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrio. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.